Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Rowing Chat podcast. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I started this podcast in 2013 with a view to connecting real people in the sport with coaches and educationalists from whom we can all learn. And that, for me, has always been my personal journey of discovery. You see something and you think, oh, that's interesting, and I want to dive in further and learn a little bit more. And that brings me as a perfect introduction to my guest today, who is Liz Winter, who sent me a really interesting article, which we'll tell you a little bit about later, and a question, was this a suitable developmental model for Masters Rowing? But first, Liz, welcome to Rowing Chat. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Tell the listeners a little bit about you and your background in the sport. Ooh, well, I started rowing in college as a, an undergraduate at, at Oxford and rowed for my college and then for the university. Uh, moved to London, rowed for a, some clubs there and started coaching at that point. And this was way back in, oh, the 1970s. So I've been involved in rowing since then. Uh, came to the U.S. about 30 years ago and have been involved in rowing uh, in uh, in Pittsburgh for many years and uh, proudly me a member of Three Rivers Rowing for a long, long time. Uh, coached uh, Carnegie Mellon here in Pittsburgh and have been coaching Masters Rowers for a long time. Uh, my my non-rowing world is uh, started in law and I went from law to social work and, uh, and at this point I'm sort of putting all of those things together. So I think that's that's probably a good enough place to start. So the article which where your interest in pulling all these things together was about Norway and it was an article in the Telegraph about the Norwegian Youth Sports Development Programme. So what was it about this article Liz that really caught your eye? Well it's it's a developmental model that follows the the track of youth development um, in in the sort of biological, psychological and social sense. And, and how that plays out is that the emphasis is on participation at an, in an age appropriate way. And one of the things that they do is they scale competition and actually delay high level, high pressure competition until um, children and youth are older. Uh, so you know, at a certain age, you can row or you can compete in your, I guess, the equivalent of your city, county. And then at another age, you can start to, you know, at the, in the U.S., it might be at the state level. And then at another age, you can compete regionally. And then at another age, you can compete nationally. So and the idea is to scale the pressure of competition according to appropriate youth development in other words what is what is a reasonable healthy amount of, of pressure and stress uh, for someone to develop um, safely enough in a in a biological sense in a psychological sense in a social sense so so that's oh i'm sorry that's the that's the it sounds quite logical as in mm -hmm. you know when you're 12 13 14 you haven't got a huge concentration span and a half day going to a regatta, racing and coming back, i.e. somewhere that's not very far to travel, sounds mm -hmm. like more than enough. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And and so, I mean, the idea is to keep the the cost to the youth, the you know, social emotional cost down and not over pressure people. Now, you know, I think there's some concern in, in many places that if you delay high level competition, you delay high level performance. And and interestingly, the uh, the Norwegian ski team walked away with an enormous medal haul in the Winter Olympics. And those athletes came through this system. Now, that doesn't mean you can take a system and transplant it everywhere else because it's in a social environment. It's in, you know, it's in a certain culture. But, you know, maybe there are things to learn from this. The, the, other, the other piece of it is that sports are very family oriented so that whole families engage in sports. Sports clubs encourage family engagement. Um, and that's a little different, perhaps, from, from many of the models. You know, in rowing, there's a youth program, and then there's a master's program, and maybe there's an open program. But people mm. don't, you know, you don't, get in, you don't get in boats together as a day-to-day -day kind of thing, okay. particularly when people are younger. So That's, that's interesting, because, I mean, there is the odd kind of parent and child race. But I can equally understand that I would have loathed rowing with my mother. <laughs> not that she was a rower but you know mm -hmm. i could see that the two of us would have just been friction central right, right. might be different well you know if, if you joined a club as a as a family that doesn't mean you necessarily i assume would sit in a boat together and that would be an important coaching decision i had a so the the youth sports development runs up presumably to around age 18 mm -hmm. after which i guess people then make what we now consider to be the current choices which is are you going into elite high performance sport are you mm -hmm. going into club sport are you going into just social sport i mean i say just but you know i think that's also important um and how might a model like this which you've given us really clear guidance that it's built on biology Mm -hmm. so socializing people mm -hmm. and is emotion the third thing well it's a you know if i think of it as that you know the what's often called the biopsychosocial model so it's the you know the the psychological is the, it includes the emotional and the you know and the way we manage competition in a cognitive and emotional kind of way so we cover emotional and and, and cognitive you know our, our thinking structures as well as our feeling when I coach 10 to 14 year olds uh, in rowing, um, one of the things that I particularly enjoyed about the group that I had was that sometimes I would just say to them, what would you like to do today? And I would let them mm -hmm. you know, set the framework for the outing. And in, as a coach, I spent a lot of time making sure that their concentration span matched the activity that I chose. Mm -hmm. But broadly speaking, we would get in the boats, we'd meet on the other side of the river, we'd go upstream, we'd stop, they would splash around for a bit and chill and rest, mm -hmm. and, and then we'd all come back together. That was the rough framework. Um, mm -hmm. What surprised me when I asked them an open question was the vast majority of them said, can we race? Mm -hmm. It was nearly always their answer. So how does that kind of attitude, at, as I said, that sort of age range fit into the Norwegian model? Is it appropriate that kids want to race or are we discouraging competition? I, 
my, my understanding of this is that we're not discouraging competition. And if there's, you know, a desire to do that, great, go do that. I think the concern is that there are some guardrails about how intense, how intensely we ask and maybe push youth to compete at higher and higher and higher levels. You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And and so the, the, I see that more as God. It's not like don't race. It's race all you want. Race these people down the river. Race, race locally. Get, you know, get your uh, terrible metaphor, but get your feet wet doing that before you, you know, before you, you before you go off to something in the next state. So, you know, we would think of that as friendlies or scrimmages, um, but it's putting those guardrails in so that you're not shoving your youth forward. Like you're good, you've got to do more, you've got to compete higher, we've got to go to nationals, we've got to, it's, the guardrails are there that say, yeah, they'll get there. Some of them, some of them will get there, some of them won't. Um, and, And the other piece of it for me is how many people and I know we're going to get to masters and it's the same question. How many people do we lose? And we know because maybe we're emphasizing a particular area of rowing so intensely that there are people who might not feel they belong. And and that's a concern because we know that when people leave high school, you know, the U.S. rowing membership plummets. And how do we, and that's, that's just in the U.S. and that may be in other places too, but how do we hold people in the world of rowing? Because we know it's a lifelong sport rather than we lose them. And then what do we have to do to get them back? And why are we losing them? So I, 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 I think there may be some answers in this kind of thinking. So you hinted that you think this could apply to master's rowing and you're an experienced master's coach and I'm guessing you were or are a master's competitor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk me through how you think a developmental model could be framed for master's rowing because am I right there isn't one right now? Um, I would hesitate to say there isn't one. I'm I'm not sure that that's predominantly how we think so I'll, I'll be a little cautious about that. But I, th- I think that we've got the range. I mean, part of what we sometimes think of as a problem in master's rowing, and I'd rather frame it as an opportunity, is that we have an incredible range of ages. We have an incredible range of abilities. And we have an incredible range of motivation. And so, you know, so the developmental piece doesn't go by age. It goes by all of those other factors. So you know, what, you know, the kind of racing I wanted to do when I was, you know, 25 is maybe not the same kind of racing I now want to do in my 60s, right? But I'm still, but I still want to race. So, you know, those things, so things shift over the life course to some degree, they shift with physical ability, they shift with um, people, you know, people's responsibilities in other parts of their lives. Are they raising children? Are they caretaking old parents? You know, how and and where does someone fit in terms of, you know, there are plenty of people that want to row better, but they don't necessarily want to compete. And do we have the same level of respect? So I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna start throwing this respect, the, the R word around. Do we respect 
that goal in the same way that we respect the goal of someone who wants to go to nationals and medal, right? So, or top 10 at the trials. Yeah, so goal choices and um, articulating them and mm -hmm. understanding them and then setting up our programs, our clubs, mm -hmm. our training groups around those goal choices. Am I right that that is what you see as the big challenge? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I but I think one of the things that certainly I've seen over the years is that, you know, there's the there are the people who want to go really fast and then, oh, wait, there are the rest over here and never, you know, and never mind. It, it, that in some way there's some sort of sense of, you know, it being less than, rather That's than true. Yeah, sorry, go because, ahead. And I see it in really subtle things like the description of people who don't race as recreational, mm -hmm. whereas I would prefer to call them fitness rowers. Mm -hmm. I know, think, yeah, you know, you're not a recreational gym, you know, aerobics person, you go to the gym for, you know, health and fitness reasons. Mm -hmm. And I know aerobics has competitions, but most people who are doing that particular sport aren't generally on a competition. The competition isn't a big choice for, for that. And nobody thinks to, it has that sort of light sort of patronizing tone. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to say there are fitness rowers, and then there are people who choose to race sometimes, some more than others. Does that work? I, I think it takes us more than a couple of steps in the right direction because it starts moving the language from a value-laden, you know, uh, this is, these are our, you know, these are our competition races, uh, racers or our, comp our competitive rowers, and oh dear, you're not one of those, right? Which which, as you say, it's it it's subtle. It's, um, you know, it it's using words like, well, they only row twice a week. Yep. As opposed to, well, right, they row twice a week, for whatever reason, and the reason should not be assumed to be because you can't, you couldn't make it in this other team, but the, but the you have to accept that all of these things it, in order to make this work it, it's a it's that r word again we have to respect that this person is in this place at this time and the reasons they're in this place at this time are not we don't get to judge those they are what they are and if we accept them and start shifting our language to you know instead of making assumptions like well you know if you get better here you can always try out the, the assumption being that people want to do a particular thing um, and, and it really is it really is pervasive and and so and people persist sometimes in spite of it because they love the sport. But the environment could perhaps be more welcoming. We could level that playing field with the understanding that some people perform in this way and some people perform in that way. And celebrate both. Yeah. And celebrate both. Isn't that the essential inclusivity aspect? Right. right. It's a, as opposed to tolerate each other. Now, our sponsor for 
this week is Rowing Tales 2022. This is a book that I have curated and edited. It is an anthology of stories about rowing, as the title implies. And I have been producing this for the last six years. This is the sixth edition. It published literally last week. This is one of the very first copies that I have in my hand. I'm stroking it for those of you who are going to be listening to this at some point in the future. And um, one of the things that I enjoy particularly about pulling a book like this together is the fact that people tell me the most delightful stories. Here's one of them. Charles Wemyss talked about the rowing mantra. He said at Berwick, which is a high school, we had a little mantra that we used most days after practice. What do we do? We row. Why do we row? For body, soul and spirit. How do we row? With technical excellence and strength. Who are we? We are Berwick crew. And he ends by saying, it all is really that simple. And that is the final tale in this year's book. You can get it and all of the others on Kindle and in print edition on all of the Amazon stores. And I very much hope since these shipped really quickly uh, from the US to where I live in New Zealand, that there is plenty of time for you to get them for Christmas presents this year. Now we have um, a live lister and there is a interesting observation here. Um, recreational fitness is perhaps two categories. Interesting suggestion. We have people at our club who row for exercise and some who row socially. We have a group that does nature rows to go and look at the birds and animals. Well, isn't that a thing? And a suggestion that perhaps another title other than recreational might mm -hmm. help. What do you think of that, Liz? I, I, you know, I think that any group gets to decide how they want, you know, or, or any club gets to decide what their populations are, if you like, what their groups are, and and how they should how they should title themselves. I, I don't know that I would necessarily um, want to want to make that decision. I think, you know, this is somewhere where we can develop this language, uh, and. Um, you know, in the U.S., we don't have a tradition of row touring, but, you know, Europe has an incredibly strong tradition of that. And, uh, you know, is, is that I, I don't I, you know, I wouldn't throw out recreational. I would I would perhaps reclaim it um, and, you know, and, and and think about it differently. Um, you know, I, I think we're in an evolution here and I I, I hope we do. Uh, seize the opportunity to to frame whatever what however somebody participates in rowing mm. as you know in a way that is positive and 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 and, and respectful. There was a group at a club that I used to belong to who um, were mums mostly, and they they rowed about sort of ten o'clock in the morning after they'd taken their kids to school, mm -hmm. and the club laughingly once referred to them as the ladies who lunch. And the ladies came back quick as a flash and said, absolutely not. We are the high maintenance group. <laughs> right. We had we had a group of masters women in Pittsburgh who were the eight great tomatoes. Oh, I, for I'm not reason. sure. What, 
I'm not sure where that came from even, but I remember them well and have had the privilege of coaching them at one point many years, many years ago. Well, let's revive the eight great tomato group. Now, as a coach, um, it's obviously a leadership position in mm -hmm. context. How do you approach a group that has diverse goals? Ooh, well, it, I mean, it depends how big a group and, um, you know, and how you have to, uh, how, how, how much coaching coverage do you have and, and how do you keep people safe? Because that's always the, that's always the first thing. Um, we're on pretty cold water here in Pittsburgh most of the mm -hmm. year. Uh, so we, you know, we often, you know, our master's teams often, and several of them often mix crews with people who might move about faster and people who might move about less fast. Uh, and so that we can keep boats together and, and keep them safe. So crews of similar speed. Crews of similar speed. So, so you know, safe, safety is going to be the first thing there. Uh, and, and we're in a, you know, we're in a club where we can um, shift, you know, where we have, I don't know, maybe half a dozen different masters teams that row at different times and have and have different goals. So uh, if you can split people out, that's fine. Uh, but if you cannot, then giving people opportunities to do what is for them their sweet spot uh, with the understanding that they may not get that every single time they're out uh, and that everyone is moving along the you know the technical and and uh, and fitness developmental path uh, in in the way that makes sense for them, and and that might be you know some ad additional workouts for for people who are you know looking to build an aerobic base more, or people who are looking to do to to build speed more. Uh, but a, for the most part, I think you can really do a lot of good technical work across categories because you know there are people who go really fast and still need to figure out what to do with that outside rest right those you know those old those things that you know get ingrained and so you so there are things you can do and if you have the opportunity to do things on the ergs for technical work and speed work to do things on the water and if you have you know the sort of the holy grail of the of the tanks in you know where we are because uh we're off the water mostly at this point then you can do a lot with that so i think some of it's about being creative and you and i had spoken about this at another time about this is the the challenge for the coach is to meet people where they are and give them what they need rather than saying we're going to this point and you got to make it and I know one way to coach that. How often do you check in with individual athletes then about what they're working on or want to do? Personally, I've, most of the work I've done recently has been with individuals and small groups. So it's been a while since I've had a whole team. Um, but I think you check in to some degree every practice. You know, the, you come off the water and there's, you know, you, you check in to see where people are and, um, and, and you know, it's a touch point. It's a touch point to see if everyone's okay. It's mm -hmm. a touch point to 
see if people felt they got what they what they wanted from from the session um mm -hmm. and and then it's being willing you know at the team level to be questioned i think mm -hmm. and and to set up a culture i my hope is that we've moved beyond in or that we will move beyond the coach is unquestionable you know the, you know, the, that's the, the the divine right of coaches. I, I'm hoping we've we've gone beyond that, and that people expect to be able to articulate what they're doing and why, uh, including selection, which is tricky, but it's yeah, important. It is. Uh, tell me then, um, from a club management board committee point of view you mentioned your actual club has six or eight separate masters training groups if i'm a newcomer how do i get allocated to a group and 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 what is the the diversity of those groups is one of them just like i have to train at 6 a.m because i have a full-time job or how do you work that out oh what a fabulous question and what a moving target that has been um i mean it's this is Boy, I wish I had a neatly packaged answer that everybody would be happy with for that. This is this has been this is something we struggle with, um, and you know sometimes that's been better than others. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, for some teams, there is it's early morning. That's it. Mm. Them's yeah. your options, right? Uh, and so. Uh, for people who may want to be in that team who cannot do early mornings, that's tough because it's a non-starter for them. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, if that's the group they want to be in, in, you know, in many ways, they may be able to be in it, except for, except for the fact that their schedule maybe requires them to be in an OR at six o'clock. So no, you're not on the water. Um, you know, so it, it, it depends. Um, but for the most part, it's sort of a negotiation. People talk to coaches. They um, are often invited to, to show up and, 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 and they sort of find, for the most part, for the most part, uh, except perhaps in the, and sometimes even in our more competitive teams, um, it's, uh, you know, does this feel like a fit to you? Does it feel like a fit to the coach? Yeah. Um, we don't have... You know, the commitment in our club has always been that this is a community-based club that produces people who go fast and and people who want to do a whole bunch of other things. Um, and and so, you know, we've and, and and back in the very very early days, there was a lot of tension about why don't we just have an elite club? Yeah. Why don't we do that? Um, and and people who who came with the value that that we wanted to do something more inclusive and so that i mean that was that was a back and forth and you can see um you know different high school programs that approach that differently um in the boathouse uh you know you you could see different college programs that approach that differently you know some were some were varsity some were club some were particular kind of club i mean a lot of different ways of doing that but you'd ask how do, how do people find their home um, and it's 
sometimes who you know and who you're or who you're comfortable with it's often the coach so interpreting it from what you've said it has to start with strategy you have to have as a club a statement and yours was we are a community-based club um, mm -hmm. who have some people who 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 train race fast um, mm -hmm. and I think that that is really important because that is the litmus test against which you can judge anything so if there are a group forms that says we are only a racing group you can then say um, yes or yes but and for example one of the situations where we in my faster masters business frequently have dialogue with individuals is I've been racing for X years where X is usually at least three or four mm -hmm. and I'm racing now what do I have to do to get into the elite racing group and of course mm -hmm. elite racing groups have a mindset of competition which says I want to be the weakest person in the group I want to row with people who are stronger and better and fitter than myself and mm -hmm. therefore letting a newbie in who is not as fast as the rest of us challenges the integrity and the goal of race winning and that mm -hmm. then has to then be reflected back against the strategy we are a community-based club mm -hmm. and it is then a negotiation as you correctly say but clear boundaries and i've talked about this many times um so it's it's no secret but in my community-based club which is similar to yours we have a mandate that on a Saturday morning when the club meets to row we deliberately mix abilities and this is the opportunity for people to row with people who are better faster more experienced different mm -hmm. than themselves often mm -hmm. mix sex as well as mixed ability and mixed goals mm -hmm. and this is how we bring on our less experienced people and you are not allowed to request a crew for that mm -hmm. lineup for that session. It is only once a week. And pretty much everyone falls in with that because that is the social outing afterwards. We go for breakfast together and, and talk. Mm -hmm. um, and if you absent yourself always from that session, it's pretty much noticed. You know, if you're rowing Monday through to Friday and Sunday, and some reason you're not there on Saturday on a regular basis, um, it's not so much that questions get asked, but an eyebrow gets raised and, mm -hmm. um, you know, your contribution to that session is an important part of your membership of the club. All the rest of the week, you can request, you can, you know, make your own lineups and, you know, request whatever you want. Like, I only want to do sweep or I'm only interested in my single or um, please, can we always do an eight on a, a Friday morning or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. And it's been very interesting because I that was already in the club long before I joined. And mm -hmm. I actually think it's one of the most useful things I have ever seen. And I advocate for it like this because I think more clubs could try it, particularly masters with, as you politely said, diverse abilities, diverse <laughs> ages and diverse goals. And it creates an environment where once a week everyone can do the same thing even if that thing is side by side rowing across a thousand meter piece and you're not allowed to get more than half a length in front or behind the other mm -hmm. crew yeah. 
How are you going to manage that when you know your lineup of mixed ability people and, and then I know my lineup of mixed ability people and we've all got to work together to problem solve? How do you not get in front and not fall behind? Right. Right. I, I love this idea. I, I think, uh, you know, we do we do something similar a couple of times a year where, you know, people show up and but but it's not an expectation. It's a, you know, come if you want to do this. Um, but I think, uh, you know, what I'm hearing is that this is a lovely way to be a little less siloed. And, yeah. and I think that's a really good phrase. Siloing is one of the things that frustrates more competitively minded rowers then i think it frustrates them more than anything else it's because i don't mind being siloed but is there a pathway for progress and if i can't see a pathway then i get frustrated right right and and i think it, i mean if it's a value that you meet the rest of your community on the water uh, on a saturday morning then you know then people get to know each other and there there are the lines between the teams are perhaps a, a little less distinct. And that's, I, I would think that's more of a, you know, that's, that, that is a community-minded way to go. But, you know, as, as we're talking, I, you know, part of me is thinking, boy, I'm describing what I think happens in Pittsburgh. I wonder if some of my, my club, other club members would say, what, what is she talking about? What? What's that? So, you know, you, you always describe things from your own perspective. So so I have to say that. So I hope I'm I'm hope I hope I'm doing three rivers, um, you know, justice in, uh, in in my description. If someone's listening to us talking today and they're a coach or a club administrator or an interested party who wants their club to progress and advance and perhaps be more inclusive what are the signs that you're not getting it right because i think spotting those then gives people an opportunity to start a conversation right um i i think if you find yourself i mean so some of the things we talked about earlier are, are around language so if you find yourself or hear yourself or your colleagues particularly your rowing your your coaching colleagues talking about only and just and um, a, a story that comes to mind is, um, you know, we, we get a, a lot of, um, as, as many people do, a lot of people who are coach, who are coaching in the summer are rowing um, college in the, in the fall and the spring. Oh, and okay. So, yep. Right. So, so they will come into, um, summer programs, which may well be learn to row programs um, or, uh, you know, short duration programs, which let, let's say, let's say learn to row um, and are coming in with some assumption that what, what they do in their college programming is the only right thing. So, so that's a, you know, uh, and so, you know, they may then look at, and we've we've probably all heard stories about them looking at someone who signed up for a six-week learn-to-row package, uh, mm -hmm. saying, "Well, I did drills with them, and they just can't do them." <laughs> right. So, so then the question is, are we are we matching our or developing our coaching skills 
to meet the needs of the people we're coaching. Because if it doesn't work, it's not the athlete's problem, it's our problem, right? So if you're doing a drill and you can't get what you want out of it, it's not the right drill. If you can't, if you can't see what you want to see, then we've got, if I, you know, if I'm doing something and it's not doing what I want, I have to change what I'm doing. And it doesn't mean less than, it means different. And it's actually harder as a coach to be more creative and say, all right, this thing, this thing is just, it's just not working. You know, yeah. they, can't, they can't get the blades off or no one can feather or, you know, what everyone's miserable. Good sign that we're not getting it right. People are generally unhappy. That's a really good indicator that we've not made it you know, we've not made the increments, the learning increments, what they need to be. Um, if we find ourselves using words like, I want you to try this, try that, that the T word is in, in, in my perhaps not so humble opinion is one that I would love to <laughs> excise from the language, you know, do or do not, there is no try. Um, yeah. You know, it's like you let's do this. It will do something useful. Let's see what that is. Not, I want you to try this thing, which implies, A, that I'm not really confident that you can do it, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in which case, why am I giving it to you? Why am I asking yeah. you to do that? Uh, and, and the other thing is I'm giving you an out of, well, you know, I tried. Yeah. And, and I frankly don't want to give you either one. I would like you to do something, get whatever benefit from it we can get from that, and then let's let's see where that gets us, and let's reassess and we'll build on that again. So you know, if I if I'm finding myself wanting to say to people, well, let's try this. Eh, that's a me problem. It's a coaching problem. That's really interesting. And coach professional development is often self-directed because, mm -hmm. you know, of course there are coaching qualifications and, and that's very appropriate, but you are on your own most of the time. And the only people observing you are your athletes. And um, yes, of course, it is lovely to have athletes who think you're wonderful, but equally you are, probably aren't a great judge of what you need for your own development. So have you thought through the challenge of um, community sports coaches and how to develop skills? Oh, um, I don't know that I've thought it through to a fabulous conclusion, but I, I you know, it's something I chew on regularly. Um, you know, so professional development, yes, you have to go look for it. Um, and I think we're going to learn something from any other coach we spend time with and not always what it is they think they're teaching. Mm. Right. So, you know, for better or worse, we'll sit with someone and say, Hmm, that's interesting. I love that. I love the way you talk to your athletes. And there's, then there's this other thing and yeah, I don't want to do that. So <laughs> I, I think there's, you know, find people you respect and, time constraints and time and distance, you know, permitting, you know, try and try and spend time with them and, and see what you can 
you know, take in by osmosis. I mean, so that's the sort of the, you know, the informal, the informal um, coaching development, formal coaching, professional development in wherever you're located in your, you know, in your country is never, that's never going to be wasted. Uh, You know, get what you can where you can. And you know, if I think about, I started coaching in uh, 1978, uh, you know, long ago and far away. And you just, you know, you sort of sat and watched people do stuff. And then you kind of made it up as you went along as best you could. Uh, and so there's always this thing of what do I want? What do I want to use from this? And, and what about this do I not want? Not just in terms of technique, but in terms of style in terms of kindness, respect, you know, there's, there's always a place for kindness, right? If, if nothing else, be kind. What's it to you? You know, be kind. Um, I, I sometimes think that inadvertently, because we may be invested in a particular outcome, then we convey that to the athlete when they don't meet our expectation, um, which is, you know, a form of shaming and that's mm, no it's about what do i need to do differently sorry yeah it comes back to those goal choices that you were so clear about at the beginning so just to summarize the idea now is that we should be possibly looking at a developmental model that is oriented towards development i.e progress or along a pathway mm-hmm. giving equal respect to life needs people's performance choices and mm-hmm. their bodily needs and functions so mm-hmm. that there is a, a route that people can see how they're going, enjoy mm-hmm. the process and commit to it. But also, if I'm guessing here, they can step up, step down, step in, step out as their life adapts, adjusts, changes. Is that your goal for Masters Rowing? Um. Yes, and I'm going to push back at the language again just a little bit and step up and step down. It's like, well, step in here, step in there. Because I'm not, you know, we know some people go faster than others. And some people, it just isn't their goal. So, you know, is it being out there more intensely with the goal of racing faster? Frequency, but, maybe. Step, yeah. row, row more frequently and less frequently. <laughs> There you go. And, um, you know, if you want to get better technically, you don't necessarily want to go faster. That's not everyone's goal. Their goal is, you know, their goal may be, I want the best health span and quality of life I can get for as long as I can get it. And step into that. What a brilliant phrase to end on. Liz, it's been delightful having you with us. Uh, Three Rivers Rowing Association are extremely fortunate to be working with you. And I'm really glad that we um, started this conversation. So to any of our listeners as part of Rowing Chat, if you would like to learn more, Liz, please tell people where listeners can connect with you. Um, probably probably the best way to reach me is my um, email address. And that's lizwinterpgh at, at fabulous Gmail. Not fabulous, but gmail.com. So excellent PGH. And it would be a pleasure. So thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, if you've enjoyed the
growing chat episode you're listening to now please share it tell your friends and if you like to get a weekly email that tells you of new episodes just go to the website www.rowing.chat and till next time bye bye <laughs>